What up, guys? Joe Bennett, and welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast. This is the one-stop shop for all things coaching. I am your host and your coach, Cody Boom Boom McBroom, and I am here to coach you through these speakers on all things training and nutrition. My goal with this podcast is to help you get better results that actually last using the science but teaching it in an applicable way. Today's guest is the one and only Joe Bennett, aka the Hypertrophy Coach. I'm sure you can imagine exactly what we are going to talk about today muscle growth. And I'm really excited about this one because he is the go-to guy when it comes to getting as jacked as possible, but he takes a non-traditional approach to this. Um, And the reason I say non-traditional is because he doesn't just fall victim to the whole volume fad right now, which yes, volume is important for muscle growth. There's no denying that. And I'm not saying that because I do believe the research. However, I do think there's merit to say before you even get there, you should understand your own personal biomechanics. You should understand how to properly execute a movement pattern, and you should be able to fire your muscles on command. If you don't have control in these realms, it's very hard to add volume safely and effectively. You'll be doing a bunch of junk volume if not. So by taking this approach and mastering these fundamental stages first, not only will the volume be more applicable and uh, more beneficial as you add it on, but you are more likely to gain before needing to add a ton of crazy volume. And I really am excited for Joe to be on the show because he is somebody who pushes that message. He pushes the importance of exercise selection, properly understanding your own biomechanics and assessing how your body moves and matching that to the right exercises. And also just the the really core basics of understanding how a muscle works. Add to that, he has a ton of amazing experience and he's done so many diverse certs that he takes a lot of different approaches and understands a lot of different methodologies in our space and puts them together to create his own philosophy or style of training, if you will. And I really respect that about him. He's a wealth of knowledge, and I think you're going to get a ton of information from this podcast. Guys, before I get into the episode, I have a couple quick reminders for you. The first one being, if you're new to this show, please hit the subscribe button. We drop three new episodes per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. That's a load of free content for you to absorb and get better results with, and I highly recommend you stick around and continue listening to the show. If you are new to this show, scroll down in the description because I have links for the top four episodes of this podcast so you can get up to date with what we talk about and what we educate on inside of this show. Last but not least, do me a huge favor. Take a screenshot of this episode. Head over to Instagram, post it on your Instagram story, and tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom and tag Joe at Hypertrophy Coach, the Hypertrophy Coach. We want to see who's listening. We want to thank you for listening to us, and we want to share it on our story. All right, guys, without any further ado, let's get on to this unbelievably informative episode with Joe Bennett, the Hypertrophy Coach. All right, Joe, man, I'm excited to have you here because I've just recently been diving into a ton of your content. I heard you originally on, I want to say it was Ben's podcast, Ben Bukolski, and then I looked you up and listened to a couple more podcasts, and then I jumped yeah. in your membership site and started digging through your content, man. You have a lot of good information, and I think you take a different approach that I really appreciate, so I'm excited to kind of dive into what your philosophies are, but before we go any further, can you give the listeners, kind of your background, um, essentially like how you got into all this and how you became the hypertrophy coach. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's, um, this will be the, the short, which won't be short anytime I try and give my background. Um, but I think it's, uh, I try and give a little bit of detail here. I'll keep everything else concise because it's, um, you know, if there's something that I think, you know, you get people, everybody gets a little sound bites of everybody that every that everybody does. So it's like, Oh, I saw this post or I saw a couple posts or whatever it is. And, um, you know, if there's a big thing that I really, really put time and effort into, it's more so than even having, I try and have good content or good information, but more so it's really the framework for what I'm saying or how I'm doing things. Uh, and that framework has been laid um, through, through a lot of different eyes, seeing a lot of different stuff. Um, so I got super into it when I was probably, you know, 14 or 15, just the same way a lot of people did. My brother had Arnold's Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding. Um, and I didn't have any money. My parents made me buy all my own shit, which I'm grateful for now. So I bought the a used paperback version of it and just tore the shit out of it. So I literally just like, I, I mean, I literally read that thing cover to cover. And that's the first time I really got kind of like into bodybuilding um, was literally like the, the bodybuilder she had in there. It was like more like, you know, the kind of 60s, 70s, 80s. He had some 90 body, 90s bodybuilders in there as well, too. Um, so anyway, I got super OCD into it. My parents literally thought I had like mental problems. 
where I just started working out. I literally worked out three times a day for the last year or so of my high school <laughs> career um, because I didn't know anything about recovery or nutrition. I just loved training. You know, I, I always played competitive sports. Um, so I, I started having training partners right from the beginning and we just like beating the shit out of each other, all that good stuff. Um, and then I started at that point in time reading everything I could read, which was, you know, muscle and fitness and flex and starting to read whatever I could find online. Um, and so that was my first thing is I've just, I've loved it, man. I've loved the gym. It's still my passion. Um, training is my passion, even more. I've competed a little bit in bodybuilding. Um, but my passion will always be training. Um, I went to school my first year. I was like business cause I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. Then I was pre-physical therapy, went to university of Florida. And then the last two years I, I switched to exercise science. Um, and it wasn't until my last two years too, that I got a job working at the gym there. Um, and then through there kind of took some leadership roles and actually got a little bit into training basically through the, um, um, the rec strength and conditioning program up there. Um, and that was the first time I think I had it invoked to me from people that were a lot smarter than me, um, to actually start thinking a little bit more about what I was doing. Cause relatively speaking, I mean, I used to lead the workouts amongst my high school buddies, my college buddies. And I kind of had this idea that I thought I knew what I was talking about. And uh, the same thing that I, I, you get a certain degree with on, on social media, which is just, it is what it is when you're just writing stuff and people are reading stuff is like, it, uh, it was the first time I had really good information presented to me and I got emotionally defensive about it. I, I specifically remember a couple instances where I had these graduate assistants and some really brilliant guys. A couple of them I actually still know now uh, that in retrospect were very, very smart, a lot smarter than I was. And then they were saying things at that time that con uh, um, contradicted, you know, my Arnold Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding, which was still like <laughs> literally like my Bible. <laughs> Of, uh, of I got training. it on the bookshelf behind me, yeah, man. It's a great book, but I remember thinking like where the whole thing was, they, there was, was a, a trainer's approach, uh, you know, and, and it's particularly specifically from the strength and conditioning side. And so they were giving me some context of like, okay, well, here's why maybe everyone shouldn't do this exercise or this exercise or what you actually address when you have an individual body in front of you as opposed to what's written on paper. And um, I remember, I don't know how, it didn't take me a long time. But it took me a little while to come around where I I literally remember being angry when I was having this information presented to me, like in defensive. And um, so I've been there and I get that people are emotionally attached to stuff. Um, and that that really sticks out is I've had several instances. I still have instances where things, you know, I get my own beliefs challenged and I have to like actually, you know, hopefully take a step back, be unemotional about it. And, you know, and either, you know, look where my own belief came from or what it was built upon, you know, maybe address it, add to it. Or do I actually eventually have to drop something altogether if I'm presented from something from someone else? Be like, well, at this point in time, I don't really see the validation for that. Um, so anyway, that was a very key point when I started to actually think about stuff from training. Right out of school, um, I got a job working as a trainer. I had a brief internship in corporate wellness. Didn't like that. Got a job as a trainer um, because somebody offered me a job, basically. And I was like, oh, I'll just make some money. I honestly, I liked training. I trained in college, but I didn't think I could actually make a career out of it. Um, and then I probably had about, uh, I trained just as a trainer for about a year and about a year after that, I worked as a training manager, kind of in a big box, uh, gym. Um, so kind of the, I was basically in a management role where I was responsible for training, developing all, everything with trainer sales, all that kind of stuff as well too. So the whole business side of training, I, I really got into that for you know, about five years or so, um, where that was my main passion. I'd say honestly, even more so than like the nuts and bolts of training. Um, and I just, it was very cool. I got around some good people that made me realize you could actually manage a business as a trainer and make a living as a trainer. Um, so I did that. And then I, I used to have a couple people within that company, a big company, um, that were really good with continuing ed education and stuff. Some pretty good stuff within the company. And I had one guy that I was very good friends with that I consider a mentor, um, from both a business standpoint and a training standpoint, um, that I used to just pick his brain all the time. And at one point in time, he was like, man, I got a full-time job. I just can't. I can't do this, man. He, and I don't know what happened. It was so funny because he was like, why don't you just go get some more continuing education? And um, he was the first guy that led me to take Charles Falkland courses because he actually knew Charles Falkland personally. And um, so I, I don't know why I didn't think about like, oh, shit, I could just actually go take courses. It was just like, oh, I'm just going to go right here because it's quick and it's easy and I trust this guy. And um, so that was probably, I was probably, um, I want to say maybe... I don't know, 26, 27, something around there. Um, and I kind of committed to myself at that point in time, basically to take two certifications every year that required me to travel somewhere um, because I figured out real fast. I was like, I did the same thing everybody does. I'm like, oh, let's get some certifications that kind of look local. And I'm like, oh, well, there, there isn't shit local. You know, that's why I tell everybody, if you want to get good stuff, you kind of have to travel. Mm -hmm. um, so I did, um, I don't even know how many courses I took through Paul Quinn, um, taking the, the most through Paul Quinn, the most through RTS. Um, 
And actually, I should say, I should clarify everything that Charles Falkland taught, not the Falkland group now. Um, and then uh, RTS, I've done stuff with MAT, with FRC, um, a couple other ones. Those are probably my top four that I have kind of go to for continuing education. People always ask me that. Um, and then um, probably around, getting my years mixed up now, like 2013. No, that's not right. 2015. Um, I made the move up to Tampa um, because like you mentioned, Ben Pekulski, I was good friends with him and training partners with him for about two or three years. Um, and that's when I started competing, probably about two or three years prior to meeting him, started competing in bodybuilding just for fun. Um, and then I trained with him for two or three years. And then I moved up when he started MI40 gym, kind of helped him start MI40 gym. I did all the training, um, a lot of the training stuff there for, I don't think I was there for almost two, three years. Um, and then basically somewhere within the last year or two, kind of went out and did my own thing. Um, so that's my brief, my brief history, my brief background. I always tell people, because this day and age too, I always put a little asterisk in there too. Um, I didn't have social media until, I mean, I had literally nothing. I didn't do Instagram until I was like 2016, I think, um, towards like the end of 2016. <laughs> and uh, so I always tell people I have like a solid, uh, literally a decade of, you know, making a living full-time as a trainer prior to any social media, anything. Um, and cause that's a lot of people, they, which is great. A lot of people know me from that kind of stuff. And, um, and it's awesome because now that's a big, through that is a big way that I make a living now as well too. Um, but I have a lot of people that perceivably like where I'm at and like the stuff that I do. And I always tell people to, you know, get a decade of, uh, training people in person is a good place to start. Nobody likes that answer. I'm like, I'm not like I'm being a dick. I'm just telling you exactly what I did. It's the and, reality. Uh, yeah. It's the reality of at least depending on what you want to do. And, um, so anyway, I'm sure I left out some shit, but uh, that's, as, that's as concise as I can keep that. Yeah, no, dude, that's good. And I think uh, it's actually a good point because it's funny, I was literally, I was getting interviewed on a podcast today and they were asking me about my history and I give a similar response. I haven't been doing this as long as you have, but I think I was training people in the gym for six years before I started doing stuff on Instagram, before I started yep. an online business, anything like that. And yep. I've been writing blogs every week for the last eight years. And because yeah. that, that's what we did before there was social media. It's like, you just blog. Yeah, um, sure. I think it's important, especially before getting into online coaching, because you need to understand how to cue people, how people go through movements and stuff. Uh, yeah. But speaking on your continuing education, one of the things that stood out to me is that it's so cool how varied your education is. Like it, you're not just RTS. I mean, the fact that you did FRC as well stood out yeah. to me. You did Charles Poliquin, then you did RTS and all yeah. these different things that have very different perspectives. What was your drive to, instead of I mean, you obviously have your niche, but you're like, let me do all these different things and try to bring them together. Like, what was your drive and what did that teach you? Yeah, um, I don't know, it's actually two things. So I'd say like, cause that's the coming full circle with different certifications. Um, right at one of my first, uh, my first job, the first year or two I was there, I actually got exposed uh, to some RTS stuff from a couple guys that were like, for lack of a better word, they were bald steep in the RTS stuff. And, um, you know, they kind of exposed me to some of the stuff that I loved that stood out from there, that it's very, it's probably one of the most principle-based certifications where it's like some people either like or hate. You, you go through some certification and they literally like spoon feed you this shit where it's like, oh, here's a client. Here's step one, two, three, four, five, six, blah, blah, blah. You know, look in the book, do this thing if they present this. And uh, people like that because it's like, oh, just give me the answer. Give me the thing to do. Mm -hmm. When in reality, that has nothing to do with training, you know, an individual person. Or RTS gives you this framework. And um, I've, I've gone through the same thing going through RTS at times where it's like, well, what do I do with this? Or what do I do with that? Where I want kind of this exact answer. Um, but they require you to think. And they require you to use the framework and find your own answer. So I first had some exposure to some good trainers that went through that. I liked a lot of the thought process and stuff they had. And then just kind of as time passed, I didn't, I wasn't in the right place to really want to go into it then. Um, and like I said, I really got referred to Paulcom because of someone that I knew that I trusted so much said like, this is the guy go do his thing. And so I had a couple of years of doing just Paulquin. And, um, and then I just decided I, I knew, I knew so much about RTS. I liked so much about uh, Tom Purvis, particularly in the way that he did things and a lot of the info that I'd seen um, so those were just the two that I kind of always had on my list that those two, I really wanted to kind of dig into because I knew they were going to be, have some great stuff. Um, and I'm thankful that I went, especially to RTS because even through, through Paul Quinn stuff, through RTS, through FRC, the MAT, MAT, like everybody has like their Kool-Aid, which I joke, you'll see these things. They're like the, the isms within those certifications where, um, I, I like to go take all of them and just try and find the consistency 
you know, so it's like, well, what do they all have? What are the principles that they all have basically in common? And um, for stuff that I can wrap, wrap my head around and actually continue to apply to people. Um, so I figure if like really good certifications that have really good principles, you're going to find a lot of that consistency. Um, and then from there, when I see like the, the Kool-Aid that every different group has, like I always kind of put in my brain where it might just be Kool-Aid, where they might not necessarily have that strong of a reason for doing the stuff that they kind of push for people to do. And there's also the chance that a lot of people that do those certifications and push it, like they have a clinical experience that goes along with it that I might not have. So I might not completely understand because I don't have to have everything completely, you know, founded with research or science or whatever it is. If you have someone that's been doing something, you know, clinically in the gym or, you know, in a facility for 10 years and producing results, like that's, that's a good reason to do it as well too. Um, so it's the same stuff that I teach everybody else. That's where it comes from is, um, it's, we live in a day and age where people do the same thing with me, whether like, Oh, well, Joe said this or Joe did that. Or they'll want me to go argue with other people online, like for them. And I'm like, you're not, I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't have anything that I'm selling as doctrine here. I was like, when people say, ask me about, Hey, well, what about your site or this guy's site or this guy's site? I'm like, you know, my site's 10 bucks. I'm like, get everybody's site, you know, and figure out you know, what's going to produce the best results. Um, cause I, I literally, I want everything that I'm, I try and do myself is I can prescribe people because I honestly did that. Um, so that was it. I, I just really wanted to try and find I, I, the way my brain works is very like principle based. So if you give me like, this is exactly this and exactly this and remember these exact studies and do these things, I won't remember shit. And you know, it's like the stuff that's like in school, that shit I had to like beat into my brain. But if you give me some principles and some framework um, to do things, um, you know, then I can expand on it pretty well from there. And then the thing with all those certifications is I go through it. The more I went through them, you know, it's the funny thing I joke is now whenever I talk to people about certifications, I always kind of have a little talk about how to go through a certification, you know, because sometimes that's the biggest thing. I remember I talked to so many people the first time they went through a Balkan certification, the first time I went to biosignature is what it was called. I literally remember sitting there and like after the first break, you know, it was like maybe him an hour lecture and I'm sitting there and like we go into a break. I'm like, fuck, I'm like, I'm a dumb trainer. I'm like, I'm going to be really bad. Like, I'll never be like, Baldwin. <laughs> and that's literally when you see like how, how his brain worked and how sharp he was. I mean, I don't think we're going to see another person like him in, in, in my lifetime. Um, but, but then realized later on, as I went down the road, it's like, I don't have to be like that. <laughs> you know, I have certain things that I'm, I'm good at and, and that's fine. Or if there's certain things I'm never as good at as him, that's fine as well too. Nothing about training has anything to do with being the best of anything. Um, you know, obviously if you can just be the best for an individual, not perceivably the best according to everybody or some stupid shit like that. Um, so anyway, you know, I always go through now and I, I go through things. I like a, a bunch of nerd shit. I like a bunch of information, but I always go through things with like kind of the comb of how can I actually apply this in the gym? How can I actually utilize this? Um, and some of it's always with myself and then some of it's always with clients as well too. Cause even when I had full clients, like a full clientele, you know, you can apply stuff to yourself like OCD, like type A, the way a client might not necessarily do it and, or make my spouse do the same thing. <laughs> um, and then the same thing with clients. It's like, you know, you can basically like kind of, you know, just drop little bits of them on a time over top of what you're already doing. And then you can see what sticks. And that's how I've gone through a couple certifications, like all the MAT stuff. I went through their intro course and I remember having conversations with an instructor and be like, all right, so like if I want to be like not, if I want to be just okay at this, it's going to take like, you know, 10 years of full time, you know, 30 hours a week or something doing this. And they're like, yeah, pretty much. And I'm like, shit, I don't, I don't want to do that. And uh, so that's a good reason for certifications as well, too. There's some great concepts and things that took away from it. But you realize that you got to kind of pick what, what you want to be good at at some point in time. At the, at the end of the day, like every individual is so different you can only apply so much specific research at the uh, yeah. and that's why i think it's so important for people to train in person and, and feel clients and see what clients talk to clients because yeah. anecdote is powerful too i think like right now with this evidence-based movement which i love but yeah. it's almost like too evidence-based like you there's still merit for experience and anecdote because oh, for sure. they're not taking bodybuilders who are strict with routine or can handle certain things through studies yeah. because they won't let them right it's usually general pop or elderly clients stuff like that yeah yeah, and I think it's one of those things where it's the same as anything. The people that are actually, because I, I even think the most intelligent, you know, evidence-based people, you know, they, they, they give that information accurately, and then it's a lot of other people that latch onto it. You'll have people that have never trained a day in their life. It's people that I think just like to argue online. Mm -hmm. And it's like if you actually talk to some of the people that are most on top of, you know, the peer-reviewed literature that's out there for hypertrophy or any realm, 
if they're really, that's their full-time job, they're not actually prescribing a whole lot of decisions to be made with individuals. And the few people that are very, very sharp with the peer-reviewed stuff and train people, like those are the people that I like to kind of actually listen to a little bit more. Because at the end of the day, the funny thing is, peer-reviewed means nothing if it has zero actual in-the-gym clinical experience. I mean, literally nothing. Um, but it's at the same time, obviously, that gives you the, the, the loose framework of some direction of the things that you're actually doing in the gym. Um, so yeah, that's the thing. I mean, all of that needs to go through the scope of, okay, like, oh, this makes sense, or that makes sense, or this new research shows this or shows that. But at the, the funny thing is when people like literally some new research, one study shows this and people are like, oh, well, here's this or here's that. I'm like, that's like one teeny tiny small drop in this massive bucket. And it's going to take a lot of drops before you're like, oh, should I actually start to shift this way or start to shift that way? And um, so, yeah, that's one of those things where it's, I'll talk to so many, so many different coaches where it's like, you know, I, I get, I'm like, oh, I'm the form guy. This guy's the progressive overload guy. This guy's the research guy. This guy's the whatever guy. This guy's just a meathead. And the funny thing is when I actually have conversations with any coaches that have been producing results for any period of time, despite on the surface looking like we have different methods or different opinions, we kind of all agree on the same stuff. It's just like, oh, well, this is where you focus more and this is where you focus more. But we can always kind of find the common ground of, you know, I don't think people expect us to say something different or be on a different page, but. I actually think it's, it's funny as I've grown this podcast and done more and more interviews, you just notice yeah. that exact thing more and more often. I've even had like a round table podcast with two people I assumed would almost disagree. And then they're like, well, yeah. I kind of agree with that. I kind of agree with that. And they just meet yeah. in the middle, which it, it ends up being productive, but it was opposite of what I thought. But that yeah. kind of carries me into the next thing. And, and this is kind of a general, like the last general question. Um, and you can take this anyway, but like, what is your philosophy for like the people listening? Like you mentioned, like the form guy, the volume guy, stuff like that. Like, yeah. what is your general philosophy? And like, what can people or what do people really adopt from your style of coaching and training? Yeah, I mean, I've really got to get a better answer for this because it just kind of always goes. <laughs> I think of a couple of different things. So I, I honestly think, you know, the, the overwhelming thing, because um, I'll get into the, I, I guess I have two. I have like one, uh, realizing that we deal with people and individuals. So that kind of over, you know, overshadows everything else. And then kind of on paper, you know, what is some of my stuff? Um, so the overwhelming thing dealing with people um, is to just try and make actual decisions um, based on logic and not based on emotion. Um, but then at the same time, take enough time to know the emotional reasons why you are actually pursuing the goals of what you're doing. And, um, and I think those things where it's people kind of understand how those can coexist. And, um, and so the reasons that's important, I think, is one, no one will ever adhere to anything for a lifetime, you know, if they don't have strong emotional reasons for why they're actually doing what they're doing. And that's stuff that totally gets missed over um, or passed over a miss. Like when you just look at it, read a post or even read a few posts or follow someone for a little bit. Um, and so that's where I like, if I have people where it's like, if they really like doing something or they're passionate about something or it's going to make them adhere to something better. Like I'd rather have someone do something that's, you know, not perfect, but they're going to do it for 50 years as opposed to like, oh, well, here's the perfect thing I have to do, but it pisses me off or makes me grumpy or I'm, I'm going to do it for six weeks and then I'm going to quit. Um, so first and foremost, I think we all get, I get detached from it because like I love the nerd shit. I'm like, I'll just like find some nerd shit and get into it and talk about nerd shit with my other nerds. Um, but at the, at the base of things, like we're in this because we help people and we like to help people and we like to help people be happy. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. Like even for some big giant jacked meathead that wants to be big and jacked, like they want to be that somehow perceivably that's going to make them happier. Like even if someone's trying to be Mr. Olympia, the most big jack meathead on the planet, like they have something built up in their brain where being Mr. Olympia is going to make them happier than they are now. Um, so that's where it's like the, I've had so many of those individual conversations with clients over the past, you know, decade and a half or two decades almost where it's like, that's, that can exist in my brain. Um, and then from the nerd shit standpoint, specific to hypertrophy, um, you know, I, I kind of all stems for me, everything else that I kind of talk about stems from what do we perceivably, um, what perceivably produces hypertrophy? What's the stimulus that actually occurs in the gym? Then hopefully that we have to recover from and grow muscle. And it really seems to come down just to maximum force production. So we want, if we look at one muscle, we look at a bone to bone muscle, 
Ideally, we want to recruit as many high threshold motor units as we can. So we get as many individual actual muscle fibers contracting. And in those individual muscle fibers, we want them producing as much force as they possibly can for a given time that seems to associate with hypertrophy. So everything that I stem back from stems back from that. You know, so when I talk about all my alignment stuff and this aligns with this joint better or that joint better, whatever it is, there's a, a component of that that's small but important that adheres to joints, you know, so it's a more of an orthopedic thing. So let's keep joints healthy. But the rest of it is to keep things well directed. You know, so it's like I can I can press, you know, something with, you know, three muscles. Let's just for simplicity purposes, I can press with my pec, my front delt, and my tricep. Well, in the bodybuilding world, I want good form so that as much of it as if I have a dumbbell exerting force in my hand, I want much of that to go to the trained muscle that I'm trying to do. So if I'm going to adjust form, it's so let's say I'm using my pecs more than I'm using my front delt or using my triceps. So it really comes down to the given trained muscle. I want more force production from that. And when I actually go into my principles for exercise selection, um, I talk all about bracing alignment and profiles. Alignment, I kind of just said, Bracing is the, the simple example I give on that, which gets a little bit more complex, but to try and keep it concise, is like a leg press. Is like how effective is a leg press if I took the back the back pad off of it? And that's an example of bracing. It's something in direct opposition of the load that you can press into that won't move. And if I took the back pad off of a leg press, it's a completely useless exercise. And so there's a bunch of examples for that. The better bracing an exercise has, the more force a given muscle is going to be able to produce. And then range of, or the, uh, excuse me, profiles, so resistance profiles and strength profiles. That's the most complicated one. But the simple version of that is everybody talks about, um, you know, train a muscle through a full range of motion. Um, and the thing that's a principle that I extended from RTS past that is it's only, that range of motion is only as valuable as that muscle is appropriately challenged the entire range. So that means if, if I'm looking at a bicep curl, my body is capable of producing a given amount of force through that entire range of motion. Um, I want an exercise that matches that. And so it really comes down to not just having, you know, wasted time or wasted exercises in the gym. It's like not having wasted inches. So basically, if I'm doing an exercise, every single inch of it should be productive. It should be matching the force I'm capable of. Um, so that's a whole mess of shit. Um, but it really comes down to, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it seems like kind of even all the smart people agree that, you know, the whole training thing is an adaptive process. And at some point in time, we need ever increasing challenges on our body and ever increasing basic, basically amounts of force, again, for a given exercise, for a given of time, you know, over a period of time. And um, the big asterisk that I'll, I'll add to that, which will just be a whole more mess of shit for people to try and wrap their head around, is um, where, where all that gets confused is different people will need different levels of stimulus. You know, so if I look and I say, hey, this exercise is shit. Um, and then someone will say, well, you know, so-and-so got big doing that exercise. And it's like, well, not that I, none of this is an excuse. It's just reality, but genetics and drugs can change everything. So if it's like, oh, well, this guy got huge doing this shitty exercise. Well, like, well, that was enough stimulus for him to do that exercise. Where if you don't have great genetics or you don't have great drugs or a combination of both, you might need at some point in time to consider having to do a better exercise. So it's just more efficient use of time in the gym. Um, so that's where all that stuff gets really tricky, where I could, I could say to somebody comfortably, like, hey, that's a really shitty exercise. And someone's like, well, I've been doing it for 10 years and I'm growing from it. And it's like, well, aside from potentially maybe injuring themselves, they'd be like, well, you know, I guess, I guess keep doing it. You know, it could keep on working depending on the individual. Um, but then even for that individual at some point in time, you know, things might stall and they might need a better exercise. So... I, I mean, from the sound of it and, and kind of digging into a lot of your stuff, it sounds a lot like intent is very important, right? Like, and one of the things I wanted to ask you about was volume. And for the people listening, I'm doing that in quotes versus yeah. effective volume. Um, because there's some people who follow g generally low volume programs and get really good gains, but they also, all these things you're talking about, all these principles of like aligning things properly and actually understanding what their muscle is doing and having good intent and Going yeah. to a, a good level of intensity and things like that, like that's why they can get away with low volume. And then there's people doing a ton of volume, but it's all junk volume and they're not getting anywhere. So I want to get your yeah. thoughts on just that concept, if that relates to what you're talking about. And, and I guess just the volume research in general, because I get yeah. questions all the time. I'm sure you do too. People are pretty confused now because apparently 45 sets per muscle group per week is what you need to grow. And it just keeps, yeah. every time they do a study, it's higher and higher. And 
I know yeah. they're coming out with some studies that are going to clear that up, but like, what are your thoughts on all this? Yeah. Well, so there's a couple things. The funny thing to be honest is it's, it seems like a really funny thing for people to be worried about. Um, because I say this to people all the time, like volume is probably the least, which is God, people's heads are going to explode. I'm a hypertrophy <laughs> guy. And apparently you need to drive volume to drive hypertrophy. I think volume as people define it's probably the least important variable for putting on muscle. Um, so again, like some of it's now this is even taking a further step back, which goes back to my first thing It's like, you get people, you get people now that like to sit around and I, and I get it. Like I, I love, I like to have nerd time. I like to look through Instagram. I like to look at other coaches and people that I respect, but I'm capable of doing that because I, I learned first and foremost to be consistent with my efforts, whatever they are and how to go into a gym and actually make decisions that's going to change my body. So a lot of people are just sitting around and do fucking four hours of research and argue with people and try and find someone that supports this or supports that. And they don't, they haven't been training consistently for six weeks. You know, they don't get into the gym and actually make any hard decisions. Um, you know, so there one, there's this joke where it's again, and I, I get it. I think some people think that I wouldn't get it where some things about bodybuilding are simple. Some things about putting on muscle are simple, but they're the hardest things where it's like train really hard consistently so figure out something you're going to do whatever three four five times a week six times a week for the rest of your life perceivably for the rest of your life that you want to have as much muscle as possible um you know take care of your recovery you know work your ass off and then the rest is fine tuning and especially when you want to preserve your joints and progress past that point um so when it actually comes into the gym and trying to define volume and all that kind of stuff for me it's always the last thing on my mind because i think i have a different I have a different definition of what one repetition is than maybe the rest of the world. And that's why it's like, if you look at what's the basis of volume. So if we're going to talk about how many sets do I need to grow muscle? Well, it all comes to obviously how many sets within a given exercise that are making of, of how many different reps. And when I've worked with people, whether before I had maybe this concise of an idea of what it was till now is that it would, it takes sometimes for the client, depending on the client, they might never get there. And again, if it's Mrs. Jones, a normal weight loss client, she doesn't have to ever get there. But if I had someone trying to take their physique as far as possible, it could take them six weeks. It could take them six months until I could actually get someone to do reps the way that I want to do them. And they also do them when it matters, which is depending on who you talk to. And I think there's something whether it's the last five reps, or the last two reps, or the last rep of a given set. That's when someone's body, in my mind, perceivably changes. And from what I've seen, even training with some pretty, pretty impressive people and having trained a whole bunch of people, very, very few people do those reps the way that I would say, this is the place to start, you know, get your reps looking like that when it matters. And then let's have the volume discussion after that point. Because that's the thing where I might look at someone and, you know, where I go in and I look at the way they're training to say, hey, help me out. And I look at the way that they do an exercise and it's really, really shitty form. It's just like, you know, they're bouncing at end ranges, they're using momentum, they're using other muscles. So if I look at what a muscle, the demands on a muscle for that person doing, you know, eight reps, you know, for their set of whatever it is, by the time I have them do eight reps, maybe the way that I want them to do them, that muscle could be producing more force for four or five times as long as it was before for eight reps. So again, the one set of eight reps, another set of eight reps, and the way that I have them do those eight reps is four or five times as much volume as the other eight reps was. <laughs> So it's like, you can see why someone's like, oh, well, I got to do 45 reps of junk. I got to do this, blah, blah, whatever it is. And someone's like, oh, well, I'm producing this with 10 sets of whatever it is. And so it's one of those things where, and especially putting out information on social media, it's like no one's, no one's, you know, uniformly doing the foundation of what all the rest of volume builds off of. Um, you know, and then from there, some of the basics of it is, I mean, I think volume can obviously, it's something, everyone agrees something progressive has to occur. So someone obviously thinks that you just have to have progressive volume. I don't, I honestly don't think it's that complicated. I think it's, you can progress volume up to a point. And so maybe it's, uh, you know, beginners and intermediates can progress volume up to a point. Um, and then I think at some point in time, it seems like most advanced trainees at some point in time, if they want to keep progressing, I think it, they have to learn how to get more out of their reps, what I was speaking about. And then in turn, if they're really strong at that point in time, which they should be, they're going to have to taper their volume down to some degree. And, um, and how that, how, when that could happen with someone, I think depends on someone's training age, which again has nothing to do with their actual age. If they're more advanced or they're intermediate beginner or whatever. Um, 
so my my general feels on a feel on volume is it's, it's not really that important uh, because again you got to speak the same language first and then if it was let's say hypothetically you know you're on point pretty much with your execution and all that kind of stuff that's the general trend because i think it goes from you know maybe volume can work as a driver for a while but at some point in time like you said it's like well what is where's the end point do i have to do 10 sets a week, 20 sets a week, 40 sets a week. Well, what if I want to train 20 years from now and still make progress? Do I have to do like 80 sets a week at that point in time? Cause like, I'm gonna have to start working on clearing my schedule now to make that happen. Um, you know, so that's, um, and I say that jokingly, where it's then day if I, if I, I always tell people like, cause people say, man, like this pro, if I have to write something on paper for somebody, they'll say, oh, this seems low volume, it seems whatever. I'm like, I really feel like I need to do more. And I'm like, okay, well, if that's just one, give it a go. Let's, let's forget about our feelings for a minute and see how, you know, the results that are being produced with it. But after that point in time, if you really feel like you're going to need more volume to produce better results, then add some in. I don't care. And if you add some in and it seems to work better for this period of time, then have at it, you know, keep going with it. So. I think if people slow down and really focus on what you said, like trying to get the most out of their reps. Yeah. I think they'd be surprised. Um, and I think some people assume they need that volume and then they end up rushing through their workouts because they're like, how am I going to fit all this shit in? And then their yeah. reps all turn to shit, um, yeah. which is actually something I, wa I want to ask you about RPE and RIR. So like reps and reserve, is that something you use? And, and the reason this came to mind is I actually saw one year programming, which I've never seen before, but people will give like general rep ranges, like, Hey, eight to 10, 10 to 12, but yours yeah. was like five to 12 or six to 12 or something like that. And to me, that shows like you really are trying to get the most intent and intensity out of those reps because you got to fall somewhere in between that line, which kind of puts volume out the window essentially. Yeah. Um, is that kind of how you go about working with clients? Like let's focus on RIR or RPE and just intent and then anywhere in this big range of reps. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's honestly a really tough thing because, you know, I got to look at the context of, um, of that type of stuff. And so if, if the way that I always looked at it, cause everything stems from me is from training someone in person, you know? Mm -hmm. So again, the way that I always looked at it with somebody was what's an adequate level of stimulus. So to answer your question, yeah, I've had tons of clients. We're not using that exact system per se, but I've had tons of clients that I've never taken to failure. So I've never trained to failure or past failure with those clients. So I'm doing some sort of modified version where basically I'm manipulating a relative level of intensity, staying short of failure, um, and then manipulating volume and loads from there to a certain degree. And so, cause that's what people will take out of context to me. In my opinion, most people trying to put on as much muscle as humanly possible at some point in time are going to have to train to or past failure. That's just my opinion. Um, but there's a whole bunch of people, there's a whole ocean of people that that doesn't include at some point in time, you know? So, I'm always about what is what produces adequate level of stimulus. And obviously you look at, especially from people that are talking, you know, in the strength world, I mean, technically there would be strength athletes that hopefully, depending on what they're doing, you know, they never like powerlifters or whatever that never trained to failure ever. It's like, you're not, you're not supposed to fail within these given sets that you're doing. So again, from a hypertrophy standpoint though, again, it's all individual dependent, I guess is the short answer to the question. And I think like having programs like that, the tough part that I've had when I'm, again if i'm trying to give people all these people this whole method of like hey here's this method here's how you're doing your program like a thousand people are going to see this or ten thousand people are going to see it i see the benefit of that because it's a great thing that you can kind of give to ten thousand people and everyone can kind of progress it and you kind of it's it's a little bit more of a catch-all you know i think more people will benefit from that potentially than people that might have to say okay well actually sit and think how good is my rep quality how good is my intensity what am i getting out of this how far am i taking sets um, so it's tough because that's the way if you obviously looking through my site and kind of know my stuff, I'm not, I'm not married to this specific program. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not married to this exact, this exact rep range or even these exact exercises. I, I kind of give people hopefully a ton of concepts and principles that I want them to kind of run with from there. Um, so I see the merit of it. I see the benefit of something like again, the whole RP, the reps and reserve. Um, but I think for, at, for someone at some point in time, I don't think that's going to work. You know, I think, like I said, at some point in time, volume is not the best driver. You know, it's not going to be adequate stimulus or not a reasonable stimulus, depending on where they're at. How do you handle exercise selection? I'm, I'm kind of just chopping down. Like if we look at like the hierarchy of all these different things people talk about, yeah. um, I think you made your point very clear with volume and intensity. And, and I really do like the approach you take. Um, I, I think it teaches people to be a little bit more intuitive with their body and their training. Yeah. And I think, 
if you're, I mean, you said at the beginning with certifications, if I'm just giving you a step-by-step instruction, just do this every time, you really don't learn yeah. much, right? Yeah. Um, but when you approach exercise selection, how important is the individuality factor of that? Or is it most bodies just work better with this type of movement? Or do you tend to adjust it quite frequently? Yeah, well, it's one of those things where like, even if I had a client walk in the door, you know, so if I have, um, you know, later in my career, like obviously when I worked with just general population, you get somebody walking in the door that they, they don't know anything about what they want to do or what they should do. So you just kind of have, okay, I know their goal. I have an idea of talking to them on the phone. I'm going to sit with them. I'm going to go through obviously this part Q and medical questionnaire and figure out where they're at. Um, but even with that, I don't think it's bad to have some sort of general idea. Like I have an idea of what exercise I'm going to start with. And then from there, everything can just modify, you know, so within the bodybuilding world, I might have, if I had to list, you know, for any given body part, I could easily list my top two exercises that are going to be a pretty good, again, a catch-all for 90% of people, um, where at most you might just have to adjust, adjust range of motion. So like a squat depth where it's like, okay, well, you know, if I'm with a person and if I really want to do this exercise, if I, if someone can't go to a certain depth on something, I'd either in, in person, I'd say as simple as stop at that depth that you can go to, or let's pick a different exercise if it doesn't accomplish the training goal that I have. Um, so yeah, I'd say it's, I don't think it's a bad idea to have a, an idea where you start uh, as things that will be a good place to start for 90% of people. But then the same thing, it, it really does go out the window in person, you know? So it's, again, if I have to write a program, if I have to write something down, that's really how I frame most things. It's like, this is, this is a great place to start. I mean, that's cause it's, gets a, I've said this in the past where I'm like, this is the best exercise for this, the best exercise for that. And again, my whole thing of trying to be concise and accurate and give the right framework of what I'm saying. I think the more accurate thing I say is this is a great place to start for 90%. I wouldn't even say this is the best exercise for this anymore. I would say this is just a great place to start. You know? Yeah. What once, you have that that set point though like what does variation look like from there um and i guess what i mean by it's like a twofold question the first one being we pick an exercise it works great with me good range of motion do i just keep doing this until i can no longer progress how how like when should i change this up um and then also like as far as variations per muscle group there's there's some people that are like just find your one exercise and do a ton of volume there. And then there's other yeah. people that are like, you have to hit it from every single angle and do all these different exercise variations. Like where do you yeah. sit on that spectrum? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, for the most, the every single angle thing, um, on, on surface is bullshit. Um, you know, obviously if you have sort of kind of clarify just to get an asterisk on that, you know, if you have a muscle that's a fan shaped muscle, you know, then you can, then you can argue absolutely in my opinion, you can bias different portions of it. So again, if I have, you know, my pec, some of the fibers attached to the clavicle and some of them attached kind of down to my ribs, not even the base of my sternum, I think anyone can see that there's like a extremely different function between those, mm-hmm. you know? So again, if I'm thinking of a, of a fan shaped muscle, I can argue that there's benefit to varying exercise just so you're basically hitting the different portions of it. Same case for like lats, but it's a muscle like, you know, let's say quadriceps minus maybe the rec fem, just to keep things simple. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a hinge joint. They extend the knee, you know, so what are my options there? You know, I have making sure that I train it through its complete range of motion, you know, so from a fully flexed, basically hamstring smashing the calf to fully extended, you know, where my knees extended. So I have range of motion. And then the only other thing I have in there is appropriately challenge the muscle through that range of motion. So aside from that, like if I can do that and almost every single muscle group in the body, you can do that with two exercises. And if I really had to get nitpicky, most muscle groups in the body, you can train through 80% of their contractile range with an appropriate load. Um, so anything out after that is either um, redundancy or for a different training purpose um, or a waste of time. Um, so I'm more of the one of the guys where if you truly have an exercise that is a good fit, I, I like to stick with it 90% of the year is what I would say. If I'm going to make up a percentage is um, if it truly, the only, the only 10% is, um, is the whole alignment thing. So there's no perfect exercise. There's always going to be a degree of wear, unfortunately with everything. So that's maybe the 10 or 20%. If I'm going to make up percentages where whether I take a phase of a recovery phase or just pick something up arbitrary um, where I might rotate off of that exercise just for that purpose. Um, but if I have an exercise that, again, it trains a muscle through, let's say, 8% of its contractile range, specifically the ranges where that muscle can produce the most force, 
um, and it aligns well. I don't have to manage a whole lot of other stuff. I can't think of a good reason to just arbitrarily rotate off of it. So do you feel like it's, it's, there's a lot of people that program hop. Do you feel like most people should probably just stick with what they're doing and more focus on maybe the skill of contracting a muscle and just, just grind it out? Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, so there's this trick and this, so when I get an individual, I mean, I can work through this with somebody pretty quick in person. It's a tougher thing to figure out online. So if you're, especially, so let's say if, if you're, everyone needs to take some period of time to find the movements that fit them best. Um, so if you're taking some time where if it's like, you know, if you're doing a, a bicep exercise and they, you know, you go through, Oh, maybe this one, maybe this one, they just feel like shit. Maybe they actually don't feel them in your bicep or it feels shitty on your elbow. Then take time to rotate, you know, find the thing that's basically speaking a good fit with, there's a couple exercises that say, well, that's stupid because you can't actually produce any force there. Um, but if you have a couple, there's, I could maybe name, I don't know, six or seven different bicep exercises that are on paper are all pretty damn good exercises. And if for some reason, one or two of those feels better, take the time to find those and then stick with those and run them in the ground. But yeah, if the people that constantly change, like the whole thing, it's, it's kind of a joke, but maybe there's still some people saying it, but like the whole muscle confusion thing, like people that constantly change stuff for the sake of change. I mean, I can't think of a better way to, to not make progress, you know, or really get to like, you know, there's like the, the average gym bro where it's like with the newbie gains and putting in a little bit of effort, you know, everyone can make good progress for let's say three to five years. And then you get people that's the, somebody else made this up. It's great, but it's like the three sets of 10 crew where they just come in, you know, they put 225 on the bench every single week and they do the exact same thing every single time where it's like this, your mediocre level of effort, you know, got you this certain amount of muscle and you can either do the exact same things, not progressing them, or you could just dump, jump around and do a bunch of random shit every single time that you come to the gym and still look whatever level of muscle that you have on. Um, and there's a lot of people that do that. I mean, there's people that literally, you know, I think they just do something different every single workout for the sake of doing something different, maybe again, because it looks good for the gram. And they can maintain the way that they look doing that. But if they're telling other people they can make progress that way, I, I don't think that's the case at all. So the, the only time I would say like, and this is more applicable to like gen pop that I've worked with, and I'd love to hear yeah. your opinion on this is mm -hmm. like uh, people who really don't care for muscle growth. They're just trying to lose fat and they get bored yeah. very easily. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so I should asterisk that the, the tough part is I have this conversation is I'm, I'm the hypertrophy coach. hundred percent. Um, you know, so if, if I'm, if, whenever I'm having a conversation, unfortunately it's, I kind of almost think it's a given, but it's not. And there's a lot of times I've got to write this because I say, yeah, if the goal is to, I'm speaking to let's keep on putting on as much muscle as we possibly can, as long as we can. That's generally the information that I give out if I don't clarify otherwise. So yeah, absolutely. Like some of that, I might say to somebody, Hey, here's the best exercise for biceps. And it might be, you know, single arm preacher curl or whatever for Mrs. Jones, like, fuck, that's a waste of time. Cause I'm not going to have her do anything single arm ever. Cause it's like that that's, I could be doing something twice as beneficial with both arms at the same time. Yeah. So there's a whole bunch of that shit goes completely out the window uh, when the goal literally isn't putting on as much muscle as possible. Um, and even I'll get some people where it's like, if your goal changes, like where you might be someone that's like, I, I actually like the amount of muscle that I have on. And I like just doing different shit every single time that I'm in the gym. And that's a great reason to do different shit every single time that you're in the gym. Um, so it's not that I have any issue with anyone ever doing that, but if someone's doing that and they're saying other people can do that and keep putting on muscle, doing it that way, then that's, I'd say that's probably not the case. So hundred percent with you. I, I, I almost get frustrated, not necessarily frustrated, but like, I, I feel like I beat a dead horse with this. Cause I get a lot of people that program hop and they want to know like how often they should change. And I'm like, just keep, are you progressing? Yeah. Just keep fucking doing it then. Like there's yeah, no yeah. reason to stop. Um, yeah. do you, the, where does variation in your own personal training, uh, like your actual training or like your advanced clients, what, when yeah. does that come into play? Um, so I, I honestly, I think the kind of the, the thing that we're given if people like it and I, and I personally like it is, um, you know, we kind of have metabolic or pump work. Um, you know, so I think I always say like, so Larry, if they, the, the basic structure that I have of a program is I have something that I do that should prep my body, um, which is a mental and a physical component. Generally, it takes me two to five minutes any session. Then I prioritize my output movements. So those are the movements that I was kind of speaking about that fit the bill of they got great alignment, they've got good bracing, they've got great profiles. And that's really like the meat and potatoes of my, my effort. If I'm actually, when I'm actually working out and putting effort in the gym, 
80% or 85% of my session goes towards those movements. And those are the things that I traditionally, I, I'm generally, if I'm, if I'm in a position to progress, I'm trying to progress them, whether it's through improvements of, of form, if there's actually something I can do and improve, or if it's through most of the time it's intensity. If I'm just trying to literally add a, you know, two and a half to the bar or add a rep or half a rep here and there. Um, and even for me, like I honestly, I don't, even though I'm turning into an old man, I still don't, my body is like, uh, I'm, I'm built to be like an endurance athlete. So if I go to periods of time where like, I can't, if I do pump stuff my whole session and I'm not actually pushing myself from an intensity standpoint, I mean, I drop weight really fast, even at this point in time. Um, so even when I'm in a position where I don't, I can't put on muscle, whether it's through calories or lifestyle or recovery, you know, I'm, I have three kids that are all young. So it's periods of time where I'm like getting up five times a night. I'm not going to kid myself and think I can outwork ethic not having sleep. So I have periods of time, which everyone should be realistic. Where I go, okay, at best I'm going to maintain muscle. I still train with the same structure. And I use those movements as my baseline of like, oh, I'm not going to shit the bed and, you know, get really weak in those movements. And then the last maybe, you know, 15, 20% of my workouts most of the time are for some like metabolic or pump work. And uh, honestly, I, I vary that stuff. So people ask me that all the time. I, I don't track stuff. Um, there's a whole bunch of different principles around which I do that, where um, I'm trying to, again, train a muscle through its full contractile range with as little exercises as possible, sometimes with supersets, sometimes with drop sets. And that's what I want is like dense work. So stuff where it's a lot of repetitions in a short period of time. Um, and honestly, I, I don't think research is very definitive on all the metabolic pathways actually being great drivers for hypertrophy. You know, it's one of those things where I don't, I'm not the super duper research guy, but I, I, there's a couple of people that I follow that actually seem to have some decent principles um, that they're, they follow research for. So like, okay, here's the principles that I'm trying to actually solidify with the research that we do. And so it seems like, honestly, even like the metabolic byproduct might be, you know, correlational, not causational. So we're even like, hey, we're, it still is actually force being the driver behind it. Even when we were using perceivably less loads, it was still high levels of force from just less fibers. And the metabolic stuff just happened to be there. And so basically people could be correlating that metabolic stuff where that still didn't drive hypertrophy. But in my experience, maybe it does. So I might as well put some in. And in my experience, I think it makes the most sense to finish a session with as much blood flow in a muscle as possible. So if I can, if I can do my meat and potato stuff, I can do my load-based stuff, I can track it, I can progress it, and then I can actually perceivably just, you know, from anecdotal observation, um, I can get a better pump, I can get some more blood in the muscle, and I can finish the session that way. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I haven't seen, people have been doing that since the beginning of time, and it doesn't seem to be taking away from anyone's muscle building. Because I've seen some people where it's like, oh, well, if it's different pathways, it's confusing for your body to do the pathway for load than the pathway for metabolic. And I don't think I've ever seen any evidence to support that. Um, so I can make the argument on paper where I think it's still good for hypertrophy, but to answer your question kind of too, like, I like that. I mean, I, I'm the same person where I've been training for a long period of time. That's a time where I kind of like nerd in the gym a little bit. Like there's nothing exciting about me doing the same fucking deadlift again with a very similar weight that I've been doing for the past five years, basically, <laughs> relatively speaking. Um, so it's like, I just got it going. And that's, that's the boring work ethic stuff where you just got it going. I'm going to just kind of like do the shit that I got to do. And I enjoy that stuff as well, too. I mean, I enjoy the challenge of either holding myself to a high standard or trying to push the level that I'm going when I'm in a position to. Um, but I also like just nerding out like, oh, this angle, I can do that. Here's a good way to get a ridiculous pump in a short period of time. Um, and so one, I like that because it lets me kind of just play around in the gym. But then two, it does keep me engaged just doing something different, you know, every single session to a degree. And so most of my clients, if their goals are similar, I, I do something kind of similar. Um, but I always tell people too, depending on the client, if I, I have some clients that don't give a shit what they do, or they might not like that kind of stuff, um, the meat potato stuff doesn't change and the metabolic and pump stuff can just literally go out the window. And I feel like I can still make great progress. It's one of those things where I think if we're looking at small percentages, you know, point of diminishing returns of what leads to progress, I think that stuff is beneficial, but I don't think it's the main driver driver for muscle growth. So it's uh, all that's because if I get somebody that's like, I don't like pump work, I just like doing the logbook shit and beating my logbook. I'm like, all right, we don't ever, ever have to do that shit. Just go in and here's your logbook stuff. Here's your movements. Here's the order you do them in. Here's your focus. And, you know, talk to me in X amount of months when maybe we need to make a little adjustment depending on where they're at. So. I like that. I think, uh, I mean, you briefly touched on it, but just the fact that you have fun with it, I think that's a big key that people like finding 
what works based on science, but also what is adherable. Cause I'm the same way. Like I do like doing something heavy when I get in there, but yeah. I also like finishing with some variation of pump work and just yeah. getting a good pump. And I think that it, it, I agree with like, when we look at periodization, there's not a ton of people like coining any type of term where you do like metabolite training after your intensity based training, yeah. Yeah. but there's no reason why you can't, you don't have to do daily undulated or conjugate method or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, which kind of leads into my last like serious question for you is just the periodization for a bodybuilder or not necessarily a competitive bodybuilder, but somebody who is just strictly performing hypertrophy. Yeah. Is that necessary? Because I think there's two types of people. There's the type of people that have very smart exercise execution and programming that really yeah. do the same thing year round and it works yeah. for them. And then there's people yeah. that are like, no, you have to go through phases and we have to have yeah. accumulation intensification and realization. Yeah. I understand that for a power lifter. Where yeah. does that apply for hypertrophy? Yeah. The short answer is, um, uh, it first depends on how hard you're training. Um, so if there's something, if there's anything to actually vary or periodize or undulate or whatever, it's, um, it's getting to your point where your body can't recover. Um, and basically just giving yourself a set period of time of, you know, catching up on recovery. So whether you do it's whether you're intentionally, you know, some degree you're, you're overreaching and then you're letting your body kind of supercompensate, then just recover and go from there. Um, but that's why you'll see anecdotally, I mean, there's people that train for five years, 10 years straight and just keep making progress. And because the short answer is, especially for beginners, you, you don't train hard enough to have to worry about periodizing anything. I mean, you can literally every single week, in my opinion, just improve your form and put a little bit more weight on the bar and keep on going and you'll be fine. Um, and if there is something to periodize for the hypertrophy world, in my opinion, it's as simple as volume, whatever level of volume you're using, you know, when people are really, like you said, in the strength world and even some of that, especially coming from people that are working at very high percentages for potentially long periods of time, you know, most of the periodization, from my knowledge, a lot of it came from like Olympic lifting. You know, it's you have people that are literally doing Olympic lifts at a high percentage, and then they're doing another session later the day that's accessory work. And then maybe even depending on who you're talking to or what it is, someone that's actually, you know, practicing their skill for their sport, or, or people that are periodizing to peak for something. It's like literally you have someone that's periodizing for, here's my in-season, here's my off-season, all that kind of stuff. I mean, those are the people that need pure periodization in my opinion um where again for bodybuilders it's like at some point in time the volume might catch up with you for a little bit and that's if you have to be using in my opinion a high enough intensity and then within that intensity uh, the volume that you're using maybe have some fa uh, phases or period where basically you just strategically lower the volume and there's a whole bunch of different ways you could accomplish that it could be you know if you're traditionally doing 16 working sets in a workout you could just have a period where you just cut it in half cut it even to a fourth of that and just go with that for a couple of weeks could be as simple as just having more off days, you know, so maybe for this two week period of time, you know, I'm going to just, you know, take four off days in a week, just give my body a little bit of time to recover and then go from there. Um, so personally, I haven't, it, it all comes down to where I don't ever want to say if there's someone that's coaching, you know, you have this intensification phase and all this kind of stuff. If someone's producing results with that and they can coach it well, more power to them. In my opinion, I haven't seen it validated as necessary in the gym, you know, so I just think most people, especially beginners can just go and then you're more advanced athletes just have periods of time where again, someone's saying, what does that look like? You know, you could have anywhere from six weeks to eight weeks to 12 weeks of just, if your calories are in the right place, your recovery is in the right place, you're progressing things. And then maybe have anywhere from 10 days to two weeks to three weeks, depending on the person where you just strategically lower the volume for a while. And, um, and I get into that stuff with, um, a bit on my site but with my clients as well too where you're just doing some other stuff for recovery you know you're minimizing stress outside of the gym as well too you know you're doing if there are things that you can do from a dietary or supplementation standpoint to improve recovery or to support your body's detoxification that's a time to do those things as well too um that's the funny thing not this is my area of expertise but a lot of people will take you know things that are oh this is for liver support or kidney support or whatever it is and they're training like you said you know they're doing 45 million working sets, you know, in a given week. And it's like, that's what your body can't recover from. It doesn't matter how many fucking liver supplements you take and you just keep pushing it. You know, you're, you're putting all this stuff in one end that your body has to handle and then taking something that may support that system isn't going to change anything. Where in my opinion, that kind of stuff, and again, blood works king, but that, that kind of stuff might make more sense where you're just not putting all this shit on top of your body that it can't recover from. You know, you give yourself a volume break. And then maybe strategically, you know, use some supplementation or something that might help support that detoxification when you're just not shoving all that toxicity in one end from your training. And that's the thing where it's, again, 
if there is something that needs recovered from, you know, volume, you know, volume takes a little bit of a toll on your body and you might have some phases to just lower the volume. I love that, man. I think that's super applicable and I, I couldn't agree more. I think periodization is more of a sport thing in powerlifting, weightlifting. And I think it's so true when we talk about the aesthetic world or a hypertrophy result, I don't think the periodization is as important as just generally doing the right work. So I love the way you approach that. Um, Man, the final question I have for you to close out is something I always ask all my guests. It's a personality question. So it's a situation. The situation is, is you're in Tampa. So let's say you're flying to Australia. So you got a long flight ahead of you two empty seats next to you. You can pick anybody to sit in those seats dead or alive, but they cannot be friends or family. You have one book to read and you have one album to listen to. What are you listening to? What did you bring to read and who's sitting next to you? Man, I'm not prepared for that question at all. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, let me think about it. So any book, um, what do I have again? So two people book, an album album to listen to. God, man, I am not prepared for that question at all. I'm going to knock the book out of you. I'm going to go with the Bible on the book. Um, people, man, that is a tough one. And no family. I don't really like anybody that much that I would want to sit next to. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to have to think. Um, and album. Good Lord, man. I'm not prepared for that at all. Uh, Man, for one of the people, well, I mean, the only thing, man, I really have to think about this. I'll probably change my answer. Like as soon as I got the call back, why did I say that? That was horrible. Um, man, well, I'll just say, cause from, from a training standpoint, this will pop into my brain. I would love this the next Falcon again. Uh, it's just a massive loss. I wasn't close friends with them. So that's a massive loss for the training world. So if there's one more person I could sit next to, you know, and have that flight to talk to somebody the whole time, he is someone you could talk to the whole time. And again, it's a massive loss uh, for the world for, you know, first and foremost for his family, but for the, his brain as well too. Yeah. Um, if I had to pick somebody else, man, I have to go with probably one of my um, favorite author. Um, man, the first books and stuff I ever liked reading and I've read a bunch of all of his stuff. Um, I'd probably go with J.R.R. Tolkien, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit. Um, just Huge a Lord of the Rings fan. Yeah. You know, I was tossed up between him and C.S. Lewis. I like everything C.S. Lewis has ever written, but uh, I'm a bit of a Tolkien nerd first. And then I got to pick one more person, right? What else do I say? Now you got two. Paul uh, and Tolkien. No, no, I got to say album. That's right. I got Paul and I got Tolkien. Now I got to think of an album. Uh, um, man. I don't, I mean, I'm not like a, I have to really think about that because I have all these albums segregated. We're going to have to edit this so it doesn't look like we're just sitting here staring at my face. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I might have to go with some, um, I might go with Pink Floyd. Might go with Dark Side of the Moon on that. Um, just where, because I got to think of something that I'd still, you know, there's some nostalgia for that. The stuff my parents listened to growing up. I, I intentionally like listening to it past my parents listening to it. I could still listen to it now. Um I could easily put, I can't go, there's not too much contemporary I listen to now that I would say would for sure stand the test of time. Um, you know, otherwise I'd be pressed for something Beatles maybe as well. Um, I'm not going to pretend I'm the biggest Beatles fan in the universe either. I just, again, I'd have to pick an album that I love that would stand the test of time. You can't go wrong with Pink Floyd, man. Yeah, I think we'll go with that. Cause I could, that's, that's what I think about my childhood growing up. And again, I think about stuff that I've intentionally listened to a lot past my, my parents having on me. So those are my answers. Um, if I change my mind, I'll just send you a video clip of 60 second answer, 10 minutes from now. Why did I say all that? <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, that's, uh, that should have read the notes before this call. That would have been good to keep that a little bit shorter, but yeah, I, I'll go with that. I, I like did not, I did not even put it in the notes. Don't worry, man. Okay, so, and, and even <laughs> though like it took you a sec to think of those, those are actually really good answers. That would be a great flight, man. So I think you chose quality yeah, options. It's a matter man. of opinion. Someone's going to be like, those are four horrible answers. We're like, all right, you're right. Not well, argue some favorite colors, no. I mean, I get some wild answers on here, man. It's funny because I've had this answer like five times, but every time they say, no, everybody's going to think this is crazy, but Hitler, and I've literally had five people say they want to sit next to Hitler for some I, ungodly yeah. reason. I know yeah. it's crazy, but that has come up multiple times. So um, you by far do not have the worst answer, my friend, but All right. yeah. 
Man, thank you so much for spending time with me, dude. I, I really do appreciate it. I'm a big fan Absolutely. of your work and, and I think you provided a lot of good, valuable information and a different insight than most Hope people so. are used to listening to, which I, is what I appreciate most about it. Um, where can everybody find all your content, your website, all that stuff? Um, I'm trying to put a bunch out there. So, I mean, I'd say I'm most active on Instagram. So it's a uh, hypertrophy coach on Instagram and it's just hyper and trophy and coach. <laughs> so it's not that bad to spell as it sounds. Um, and then from there, I mean, I have, uh, I have a good bit on YouTube. I, I've been a little slacking on that, but I still get people all the time to message me. I'm like, man, you got great stuff on YouTube. I'm like, all right, well, I'm glad I got some stuff sitting there. I'm going to work on getting more active on that. And then I have my website and an app, which again is if you just hypertrophycoach.com and the app, if you just search hypertrophy coach in, um, in, uh, the iTunes store, or the app store, or Google play, whatever. Um, and that's basically just, um, that's my, that's my most, my most content for people that want to nerd out a little bit. Um, that's where there's, there's a ton of information on there and there's a ton of workouts. I try and have appeal to everybody on that where there's, you know, 150 plus like full workouts, like write-ups, videos showing how to do everything, talking through everything aside from I got like a program builder and there's a million Q and A's. And, um, so it's really, that's my, where I have by far the most work on that. Um, so yeah, I always say people just, uh, check out Instagram first because <laughs> you read through some of that, you'll get a feel for my stuff. If you don't like that, then don't bother with any of the other stuff. Like, I don't like this guy. You can open that stuff real fast. And that's fine. But yeah, so that's, I'm, I'm most active on Instagram. So someone just kind of wants to see what it's all about. Um, I put a lot of work into that. So awesome. I'll link all that in the show notes and I vouch for everything man. I've been on the side. It's really good content. So Great, man. Dude, thank, you. thank you for being on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more, again, to get you better results. The second thing, head over to boomboomperformance.com sign-up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of The Nutrition Hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.